Jesus began to teach his disciples that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter, and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples, and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves, and take up their cross, and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. sermon with full disclosure. I'm favorite fled. <laughs> that is to say, not only is it not my professor, but I happened to notice a few weeks ago that it was early this year. And I ended up having to say to myself, oh. So here we are on in the need to think about what it means. In the process, I decided to take a look at our two foundational documents, the rule of Father Huntington, 1901, and the rule of St. Benedict. Well, somewhat earlier. <laughs> and one of the things that I ended up looking was that how very similar and yet different they are in dealing with one of the more obvious features of any monastic rule. To wit, the whole reason for having a rule is that the brothers are not always keen to keep it. And one of the things which I noticed was when I looked at one, I noticed that they did it in two different ways saying exactly the same thing in a different cultural environment. And that is, Father Huntington contented himself with simply saying, well now, the, the fasts commanded by the church are the least we can do. Well, 
That's a little hint, hint. Uh, Father Huntington was, after all, a late Victorian, and late Victorians do not come right out and say things. So he left us to guess. St. Benedict, on the other hand, was from the 5th going into the 6th century, i.e. right in the middle of the fall of the Roman Empire. He felt no particular need to uh, temper things down. He set it up in front. What he said was, I have heard that the life of a monk should be a perpetual life. He says, but since monks today don't have the strength to do this, i.e. flatten the fuse, <laughs> at least they should be better during the 40 days. <laughs> okay, well, that, that much I can go. Father Huntington and St. Benedict say approximately the same thing in very different cultural environments. And one of the things that it comforted me was to show that I indeed am a true Benedictine, not necessarily a follower of, uh, of uh, St. Benedict, but I am certainly right there with the rest of the crowd in my attitude toward Lent. And yet I have to say that whatever is going on, my ability to maintain Lent has not been too successful. I generally manage to make it to the first Sunday have you ever noticed that the first four days of Lent are the longest ones in the year? <laughs> so, I had to ask myself, wasn't there some better way to do Lent than what I had been doing? And I was looking at the passage which is in our Gospel for today. If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. Those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. Well, I don't think that sounded too much better than what you usually hear, but I had to start to think about it a little bit. One of the problems in thinking about the cross in general is we tend to think it always means the same. That is, that we think every time we talk about carrying or looking at or being with the cross, we're talking about the same kind of thing. And it turns out when you think about it, we aren't. This passage is not about being crucified. This passage is about carrying the cross. So we're not talking about I have been crucified with Christ, the life I now live is not my life but that which Christ lives in her, for way before that. One of the things that is important about that is to realize that's quite a different thing. We're to carry the cross, and if it were a Roman setup, not even the full cross. You know, it's very expensive to put all those stakes of wood in the ground, and one of the results is they left them there to keep using. The only one is the one, the cross beam, and you're not nailed to that, you're just carrying it. So I thought, okay, this is beginning to look a little bit more promising as a way of keeping Lent. Take up your cross and follow me. So I began to think a little bit more about it from my point of view, i.e., 
slugger and dull and not too interested in them. And what I ended up with was four things that actually sounded fairly hopeful. I thought, well, how do you do this? The first thing I thought is figuring out which way you're going. You're supposed to be following Jesus. And what I have to ask myself at the beginning of every life is, what am I really following? Well, sometimes Jesus. And one of the things I have to work on is the importance of learning to follow Him, only Jesus. I got a whole list of other people to follow. I have all sorts of spiritualities that I think are just hunky-dory, but unfortunately, they aren't Jesus, and they don't lead to salvation. So the first thing to ask in Lent, even when I'm not feeling like it, is which way am I going? What is my life actually aimed at? Well, that can be a little depressing, but you still have to start somewhere. And I thought, wait a minute now, whose cross am I carrying? Well, now, it isn't Jesus' cross. This is not Simon of Cyrene. This is your cross. Tailor-made, form-fitted, bespoke, all for you. And we know, as a matter of fact, that there are all sorts of different things that fit in with carrying a cross. My cross, Paul says, are not the same as any of yours. And moreover, my cross is not the same at any specific time in my life. At different times in my life, I'll find that the cross is different. It is not necessarily always suffering, but very often it is always an obstacle. And it means that not only is the obstacle unique to myself, uh, but also that the remedy is unique. Also, I find that the cross is not the same one over a lifetime, which means that from Lent to Lent, there's actually a little opportunity for something new to do. Then, too, that helps me because that means I don't have to be constantly trying to do the same thing. One of my confessors, John McClary, uh, who had been hearing me for quite some time, looked around at what I was feeling in his study floor and said, Richard, have I not heard this confession before? Well, we have, we did again. So, first figure out where you're going. Then you have to figure out uh, what exactly you're going to work on at any given point in the journey. And I thought, well now, there is something else. Do you have to do it all at once? Jesus, after all, told us to be perfect, but he didn't tell us to do it immediately. In my adolescent years, very prolonged, why, uh, and doing various things in between my Buddhist and my atheist stages, I decided I'd be a real Christian. 
i.e., I was going to keep the sermon on the mount if it killed me and everybody around me. <laughs> it very nearly did, but fortunately I had very poor uh, attention span. So I wasn't able to keep focused on it long enough to actually do myself but it does mean that you can go step by step as you are on the way and figure where you are now and how to begin. So that's good news too, because that means I don't have to do it all at once. Finally, it finally dawned on me that after all, the reason I could be forgiven at all was because of Jesus' cross, his blood. His love. And the, at the end, the whole reason any of it made any sense was mercy. Mercy is the reason that any of us can keep going. Now, there's good news and bad news. I don't like news. I don't want to be forgiven. I want to be excused. <laughs> now, <laughs> that is, I want everybody to say, oh, well, after all, he's not such a bad chap. Uh, therefore, uh, I'm going to take this time uh, to do something very definite for me. Unfortunately, in order to get forgiveness, you have to accept the fact that there is something to be forgiven of. That was Nixon's problem. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's all of it. And you can keep doing it again and again and again. And you don't have to limit it to Lent. And maybe St. Benedict was right after all, even if I am not interested in doing that. But I did discover that there's something new that one can do forever then. There's prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, always important. But the center is to be following Jesus. And I will leave that by saying, follow Jesus. That's what you're supposed to be doing this Lent. And also, put your heart and soul in to accepting mercy. Because that's where it all comes from. And now unto God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, be ascribed as his most justly do, like majesty, power, dominion, and praise. Now. Nah.